God bless you. You can be seated. What a wonderful presence of the Lord is here right now. The writers in the scripture give all kinds of definitions, or I should say explanations of how it feels to hunger after God. The soul can be like in a parched and weary land. Can long for the presence of the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. That sentinel that had that last shift of the night that could not wait for dawn to come and could kind of be off duty. Our hearts can be hungry for the Lord and seek after Him. The Bible said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Whatever you desire, you should seek after it. The Bible says a lot about seeking after wisdom and searching for understanding more than you would search for gold or silver or any kind of a precious gem. That shall I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Sometimes you don't have to have an agenda. You're just enjoying the presence of God and magnificence of the Lord God Almighty. I was reading a psalm recently about walking around Jerusalem to look at her towers and walls, and this is the place where the Lord dwells. That I may beheld the beauty of the Lord and then to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he will hide you in his pavilion. He will set you up upon a rock and my head will be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. There's a lot to be said for knowing how to get into the presence of the Lord. Not just coming to church. Not just spending a little time in prayer, which is important. But getting in the presence of the Lord. Because if you will... Behold the beauty of the Lord, and I believe He opens to you His storehouse and you can inquire in His temple. You can ask Him. So I think it's important to learn how to lay our agenda down, our list down, and get in the presence of God where we can gain perspective and He can speak to us, not just where we can speak to Him. Amen. Well, I wanted to just kind of give a little maybe a definition to the presence of the Lord that we've just felt. And I observe people hungry for God as you were reaching out to Him. And the Lord knows our needs, exactly what we feel. And He even knows the needs that we don't understand, the needs that we can't put our finger on, but that restlessness in our spirit, that thing that we can't identify or define. But the Lord knows that too. Amen. He searches the hearts and he knows what is the mind of the spirit. And very often, as Romans 8.26 says, when we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, the groanings that cannot be uttered, there's some things happening in us and through us that we cannot even define. So it's important to know how to get in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Well, we're here tonight to kind of prepare us as a church for what God is going to do on Sunday. In the history of our country and what we knew growing up as the space race, we understand that the United States was the first nation to put a man on the moon. And if you don't believe that, then that's your prerogative. I know some people still wonder, you know, did we put a man on the moon or not? I think we put a man on the moon. And today is the 50th anniversary of the splashdown, the return back to planet Earth of the three astronauts. 
and widely celebrated as this day. Uh, Brother Wolfram had many opportunities, and he's been traveling a lot this year to churches to talk about Apollo 11, to share his testimony. And this is his story that really brings people to God's story, his story. Amen? And uh, so that's the purpose of this, not to just talk about Apollo 11, or not even just to share the testimony of Brother Wolfram, but to introduce people to Jesus Christ through the story of God's rescue of a Navy frogman. So this is a pretty big deal in our country. A few weeks ago, I was not seeing a whole lot about it. But in the last couple of weeks, it's everywhere in the news. So your friends are talking about this. They're watching this. They're reading about this. And they don't really know the people. They don't know the backstory. They don't understand what we understand and why we're even making this connection. But that's what this is about tonight and what Sunday is about. Uh, we're going to show you a video that was actually filmed here by Georgia Public Television over the Memorial Day weekend here at church and then privately with Brother Wolfram. I thought they did an excellent job. You would have received this by email, I believe. If not, you will receive it. You've already received it. I got the thumbs up from Brandon Marin. We're sharing this on Facebook, Instagram, uh, on Twitter, and also by email. So you can then share it with your friends and use it as an evangelism tool to bring them on Sunday. Turn your attention to the screens, and after the video, Brother Wolfram will come. And thank you for being in church tonight. In July 1969, after the historic moon landing, the next challenge was getting the astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins home safely. It was a 230,000 mile journey from the moon to the Earth, with the Apollo 11 capsule parachuting to a predetermined spot in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Georgia minister John Wolfram was a Navy SEAL back then. And that is me, and I had uh, flower decals on my wetsuit. He recalls the day when he swam his way into history. At 194 hours, 16 minutes, Apollo 11 is 7,512 miles from Earth. Velocity, 20,304 feet per second. It was an interesting chain of events that had John Wolfram in the water that day and the first person to greet the astronauts of Apollo 11 when they splashed down after that historic moonwalk. reports it was 13 miles from the aim point at Splash. Wolfram was just out of high school and a young rebel. He had the mental and physical stamina to make the grade as a Navy SEAL. It was tough getting in, yeah. It's more mental than physical. I think was, we weren't regular Navy. He was sent to Vietnam for six months. When he got back to the U.S., NASA came calling. I was chosen on the primary team for Apollo 11. I had a good leg kick. I was the fastest swimmer. They needed somebody that could uh, catch that capsule. And the night before Apollo 11 splashed down, there were thunderstorms in the area, so NASA had to change the landing site 250 miles away. 
They had three separate groups that could rescue the astronauts. We spread out in different sectors of the ocean. So the USS Hornet, the recovery ship, had to steam towards that sector. So when the capsule hit the ocean, Buzz Aldrin was supposed to pull the lever, the jets in those three parachutes but his hand was knocked off the lever from the jolt, which meant the capsule now uh, turned upside down. They had uh, a means to correct that. They flipped some switches that inflated these big balloons, and slowly the capsule went upright. Well, that gave our helicopter time to get there. I was the first guy in the water, and uh, I would swim up to the capsule. The first thing I always did was look down in the water because we were always harassed by these sharks. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't jumping into a pool of them. I looked into that hatch window, yeah, and they gave me that thumbs up. The big swimmer is reported communicating with the, the astronauts by visual hand signals through the hatch window. Two more frogmen jumped in with a 200-pound flotation bladder, and the three of us would put it around the capsule and inflate it. We remember the sea was much rougher than we had rehearsed in, but we have done this so many times it was like second nature. They were all sticking as much of their face into that window as they could. They were just happy to be back. They were all smiling, so yeah, they were really happy. Frank Borman says you're a little younger by reason of having going into space. Is that right? Do you feel that way, a little younger? We're a lot younger than Frank Borman. <laughs> <laughs> The morning that when we entered the helicopters for the rescue, we had these flowery decals, and we didn't want to waste them. So I decided to put them all over my wetsuit. The 1960s, if anybody recalls, was an era of a lot of hippies, and flowers were part of that insignia of, I guess, uh, love, not war, peace, you know, not war. And so I guess that was my way of making a statement. I don't know how he talks to you, but I know he talks to you. We need to understand how much God cares, how much God loves. After Apollo 11, Wolfram was sent back to Vietnam. He says he got into drugs and almost killed himself before he got his calling into the ministry. Which brings Wolfram to Georgia and to the Atlanta West Pentecostal Church in Lithia Springs. Over the last 50 years, Wolfram went to Bible college on the GI Bill then ironically returned to Vietnam, he says, carrying a Bible instead of a gun. And years later, Neil Armstrong signed this photograph signifying Wolfram's place in history. Armstrong wrote a little nice note, he said uh, to John Wolfram, who shared in a great adventure. Neil Armstrong, I thought that was pretty cool. I was 20 years old, two years out of high school from a small town and to be a part of uh, something as big as that was almost unbelievable. I didn't want to mess up, I wanted to do my job. Fortunately, it worked out that way. Would you stand with me and let's welcome Brother Wolfram back to the pulpit at Atlanta West. We're honored to have you here, Brother Wolfram. Praise the Lord, everyone. You may be seated. It's 
good to have my wife with me today. Actually, I'm the one that's here. It felt so good last night not having to pack a suitcase and get up early this morning to take off on another plane ride. And it's just a wonderful thing to be back home. And I want to thank Brother and Sister Johns and this fine church and your fellowship to allow me to have the pulpit tonight and this weekend. It really uh, is a wonderful opportunity to uh, reach out to our loved ones, as your pastor has said. There have been several uh, churches along the journey that have broken attendance records, and uh, there have been a multitude of people that have come to find the Lord at an altar and receive the Holy Ghost. A lot of baptisms have taken place, and that's what this is all about this week. And normally on a Wednesday night when I travel, it's just to get the folks kind of acclimated to my ministry so that I don't look like a threat to them if they bring out friends on Sunday. And I promise you I'll behave myself. So that would be a safe place Sunday morning to bring out your friends. We want them to feel the presence of God. And, and they do that by you. They come into this place. They, they see you. They feel the presence of God through you. The worship team leads all of us into a magnificent place of uh, God's presence, and your guests feel that, and that's what we want them to do. We want them to feel God uh, in this house when they come out Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, sometimes folks come out through the advertisements. We've had several news medias come out to some churches, and uh, we got free advertisement. Uh, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, a fellow showed up. He had his iPhone out, and he was showing me pictures of my great-great-grandparents. And he said, hey, I'm your cousin. So <laughs> I found out that I have relatives I didn't know I had. And I might not have ever been able to meet this young man without that. And I shared that face. I took a picture with him with other cousins of mine in my hometown. They don't know who he is either, so... He may not even be my cousin, <laughs> but he did have the same last name, so I guess that meant something. Amen. It feels good to be home. Amen. I love the, the worship that we had here tonight. I just love that gentle presence of the Lord, and uh, you know, you don't have to work up uh, the presence of God. He's here even before we get here. And when we tune our heart towards heaven, he's just there everywhere. And then when God comes through us, those around us that perhaps don't have God's spirit inside them can feel God. And uh, we want to share God this week. We want people to discover Jesus in this house. And this is a great opportunity to do that. I remember when I was just a young evangelist, my wife and I just got married, and, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, you're just lucky to have, uh, when you're an evangelist, starting out with no meetings and not knowing anybody, it's, it's a miracle that you get one. And uh, we had a good man from South Dakota invite us to be a part of his district for several months, Brother Jim Yoy. And uh, when I came to his church, he knew my background, and he wanted to uh, use my testimony I did that then. I'll never do it again. But uh, he had me dress up in my wetsuit. 
and I had my fins on and my goggles, and, and I'm standing in front of this congregation looking like uh, Bozo. <laughs> and then one young kid comes up and spoils it all. He looks up at me, and he's so disappointed. He said, he ain't green. <laughs> so after all of that, you know, I couldn't get in the wetsuit if I tried now. And uh, so don't ask me, please. We won't be wearing the wetsuit. But, you know, sometimes folks will come out to a, uh, an event where they won't come out to a revival. Uh, there's a certain segment of people out there that uh, just are connected to the space program. I run into all kinds, even young girls in churches that have been to space camp and they're just really thrilled about what's going on right now. So you never know where they're at. But we do know that there's a segment of society. I've got this one YouTube video that uh, shares the frogman's role in the recovery. And it's right at uh, one half a million views right now. And uh, this is what's shocking. About 90% of all the comments are folks that don't believe we went to the moon. So that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> but they're young. You know, they're probably not 30 yet. And they haven't experienced life. And but us folks that we've been around a while, uh, I think we understand that uh, we actually did go to the moon. At least uh, by faith, I'm speaking that tonight to this audience. And uh, if we haven't, well, then Elvis is still alive. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome to meet him if you, if you can find him. So anyway, Sunday, bring out your friends and they'll feel God because you're here. And uh, they'll, they'll sense something wonderful because of the atmosphere that we have right here. I'm going to take a text here, Psalms 142.4. Psalms 142.4. I looked on my uh, right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me, refuge failed me and here are the six saddest words in the Bible no man cared for my soul that's the six saddest words in the Bible according to John Wolfram tonight no man cared for my soul you know, the word soul in the Bible appears 458 times, and the word spirit appears 505 times. And often in the Bible, these two words are used interchangeably, and sometimes you have to really look at the context in order to see which one is being talked about in that particular passage. The biblical study of soul and spirit, if you were in Bible school, is theological anthropology. But I think we all know that every one of us in this building were all spiritual beings. Did you know that? With a temporary human existence. Sometimes all we think about is the human side, but we are a spiritual being with a very temporary human existence. And I want to talk about the soul of people. I want to talk about the spirit of people. We, we, we're here and our flesh is alive. 
It grows, it embraces, it moves, it responds to pleasure and it responds to pain, but our soul is also alive. It reasons, it learns, it loves, it hates, it has emotions. But our spirit, when we're born into this world because of Adam and Eve, needs to be regenerated. And that's what we want to do Sunday morning. We want to bring folks that have not had their spiritual side regenerated by the presence of God so that they can sense him and feel him and touch him, walk out of here with him. That's the goal. Paul said, uh, I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God himself said, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So I want to talk about that. I want you to just to think about you right now as a soul. I want you to think about your loved ones right now as a soul, a spiritual being. I want to th- you think about your neighbors right now, people that you work with. I know you see their flesh. I know you see what they wear. I know you, you know how they comb their hair, how they're going to respond and act when you're around them. But I want you to look at them a little differently right now. I want you just to focus on their spiritual makeup, not just their human flesh. I want you to see that all the way through the service. And I want to talk about worth because we're going to talk about the value of a soul the value of a soul. And worth is determined by a lot of different factors. The first one I want to talk about is who made it. Worth is determined by who made it. Now, you might have an artist in the house and they might paint a Campbell's soup can and you might think it's really pretty, but it might not be worth a whole lot. But if Andy Warhol painted that Campbell's soup can, that can, that picture would be worth tens of thousands of dollars because of who made it. A building designed by an architect by the name of Frank Lloyd Wright would be worth a whole lot more than just an average architect down the street somewhere. A baseball game program is just a piece of paper. But if Babe Ruth signed it, it's going to be worth a whole lot more. And if that painting in your house, if you discovered it's a Rembrandt, I want it. (laughs) My financial worries will be over. But do you know why every soul, every individual that you're thinking about right now is valuable? It's because of who made them. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God is behind everything that we see. And every soul that's not in the kingdom of God belong to God. Whether they've been, you know, born into the Christian family or not, God created mankind for his own presence and for his own glory. God wants you, he wants me, but he wants everyone 
He's, he's come to this earth and he's died for every man, woman, and child that's ever born. He paid the price for every single neighbor that you have. Everyone that's on your job, he's paid that price for them as well. They're, they're a living, breathing soul and they're going to face eternity. And many of our friends will face eternity without ever discovering who God is. So Sunday morning, we have an opportunity. We have an event. This may be a little different than your previous evangelists that have come. Because it's not about just, you know, a regular church service now. We're, we got a special event that some people were out of curiosity might show up. And, you know, that curiosity did what? Well, we're not going to kill the cat. But we're going to expose a human being to that living presence of God, the God who made them, a God who died for them, a God who's going to reach out to them as they sit among us. And feel what we feel because it's going to spread across this congregation. God's love is in this house. And from the moment they walk in that front door and you shake their hand as a greeter until they walk out that door, they're going to feel something that perhaps they've never felt before. I'm talking about your unsaved loved ones. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about the people that you work with on the job. In God's eyes, they're worth something, aren't they? Worth is also determined by what was made. A book has more value than a notepad. A Porsche has more value than a Volkswagen. A building has more value than a table or a chair. A Navy aircraft carrier has more value than a rowboat. A supersonic jet has more value than a crop duster. And when you look around, when you drive home and you see those beautiful trees in the neighborhood, and you look up into the heavens and see the stars tonight, and you look at the blue sky in the morning, and you hear the birds chirping, and you look around about and see all the beauty that God made, it's beautiful. God made this world. But when he made mankind, he made mankind special. Different than all the other creatures. Better than all the other creatures. Special because God gave you and I the ability to choose to serve him or not. He gave you and I a living soul something that can be redeemed, something that he intended for Adam and Eve to have from the very beginning, but, you know, they lost it. And we were now born and shapen in this iniquity, born and shapen in sin, and we have to find a means and ways to be connected back to God. And Sunday morning, your friends will feel the connection. How would you like to connect in the eternity? How would you like to bring them into the very presence of the God who can change their life, deliver them from habits, 
set them free. Wouldn't you like to see a smiling face walk out of this building full of joy unspeakable because God now lives in the house. So our value comes from our nature. The Bible says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, the Bible said he created them, male and female. Think about that. That those people that are not regenerated, those people that you know that abound all around us, everywhere, in the neighborhood, on the job, in our schools, in our extended family. They were created by God, for God. And they're valuable to God because they were made in the image of God. No, they're, they're not redeemed yet. That, that's why we want to bring them out to the house of the Lord. That's why we want to expose them to the beauty of God's presence that perhaps they'll never feel outside of coming into an assembly where people like you dwell with God's presence already inside. But when you look at your friend tomorrow, I want you to see a soul. I, I want you to see an image of God, a person that God allowed to be on this earth for one reason, so that they could be exposed to a means whereby they could find salvation. You know, I know you think that life is just making money and having kids and paying bills. Uh-uh. God created every person with a space of time because life is that vapor. It's here one moment, gone the next. We have, a, we have a few years to discover God, and you're the key to somebody's discovery. You're, you're the one that can probably make a difference in somebody's life just by your invitation. And they're valuable. They're lost. They may, they may have habits that don't go, go along with your lifestyle, but they have the potential to be just like you when you're born again. Worth is also determined by its uniqueness, its scarcity. It's supply and demand. You know, when something is in short supply, they say it has more value, especially if there's a demand for it. Like a generator after a hurricane. We know about that. My wife and I lived in Guam. And when we arrived there, they told us, You're gonna get, we're going to hit by a typhoon at least twice a year. And they weren't liars. And I figured that's why the houses over in Guam are so ugly. Because when they were made out of wood, they were blown down. And when they rebuilt them, they built them with thick concrete. Not much to look at, but it's a nice refuge when the wind's blowing like it, they do in those typhoons. Well, sure enough, Deb's folks came to visit us. It's good to have mom and dad around. And then 
Typhoon Paca hit. It blew everything that looked green on that island, who knows where. We woke up, there wasn't anything green to look at. There was no electricity on the island. We were without electricity for like three months. Yeah. Think about us. When you're in that nice aircon home of yours. But we were, we listened. We knew that we were going to get hit. So we, my wife and I, we went down there and bought ourselves a generator. See how wise we are? And sure enough, when all the power went out, you just crank that baby up, and wow, that is so nice to have a generator. I mean, you have lights. You can even crank up the oven if you want to have a hot meal. And oh, that air conditioning works as well. And boy, do we enjoy that generator for one night. Because somebody stole it. Because they knew the value of that generator. We just hadn't figured out that we were living amongst a bunch of thieves yet. But for one night, it was fun. But that's what I'm trying to say. Worth is determined by sometimes uniqueness and scarcity and supply and demand. That's why gold is more valuable than coal. Because there's less of it. Diamonds cost more than pearls for the same reason. You know what I read on the internet? Neil Armstrong took a gold coin with him to the moon. And, I, you know, the value of a gold coin is by how much it weighs, you know. But this coin was in an auction last week. And how much do you think somebody bought that gold coin that he took to the moon? One little gold coin got $2.2 million. No wonder his kids sold it. <laughs> I mean, you can't eat a gold coin, can you? But here's the most valuable of all. Limited editions of any piece of art are worth more than a copy. And originals, originals, are, they're the most expensive of all because they're unique. They're just one of a kind. Would you look at your neighbor right now? I know it's going to be hard. Just look at her forehead. You see that one slash one? That means there's nobody like you. That means that when God made you, he broke the mold. Would you look at your neighbor again and say, thank God. <laughs> think about this now. There's been a lot of folks that have been born into this world from the beginning of time, and every single one is a little bit different. You could have what they call identical twins, but they're not identical. Moms and dads can tell the difference. Classmates can tell the difference. 
But when God made you, you, you were an original. And think about it. God wanted you special. He made you different than everybody else. And he made your neighbors different than everybody else. And he made every individual on this earth different than everybody else. They're originals. God created them for himself. He didn't want a carbon copy. He wanted to look down and say, That's, I made that one and I made that one and I made that one and they're all unique. And God loves your neighbor even though your neighbor's unsaved. God loves your family members even though they're unsaved. God loves every member of this world even though they're unsaved. For God so loved the world, the Bible said, that he gave his only begotten son. He died for everyone. He died for your neighbors. He died for your boss. Because they're a living soul. And worth is also determined by personal preference and choice. Some things are valuable to us because we simply like them. I mean, you might like one book because of a certain author. You know, a lot of guys, you like these, you know, these uh, country books, western books. Ladies sometimes like romance books. And you might find one book worthwhile and your friend might not because, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But do you understand that this man-made version of Christianity is that we think that we chose God. But that's contrary to the scriptures. The Bible says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've ordained you that you would go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain. The Bible also said, no man can come to me except the spirit of the Father which has sent me draw him. Listen, you're here because God reached out. You're here because God spoke a language that you could understand. Some of you had good parents. Some of you went through Sunday school. Some of you had a better you know, chance to walk into the presence of God at an early age. But look at others. God found you out there somewhere. God dug deep to find some of us. And God's digging deep right now to reach into every person that you might know that does not have this experience. There's a God that wants to reach out to your friends. There's a God that wants to expose himself to the unsaved of this city. And if we can get a person out to an event like Sunday morning, why not? Why not bring him into the house of God? Why not let the praise team dazzle them with the glory of God? Why not have you sit next to them praising God and having the power of God sweep through this congregation from the left side to the right side where they can sense and feel this almighty presence of God? So God is the one. Worth is also determined by potential, you know, hidden riches waiting to be discovered or developed. And many things have value because of their potential worth in the future. That's why people buy stock, because of its potential worth. That's why people buy rookie baseball cards, because they're, they're hoping that that rookie will be in the Hall of Fame someday. 
potential. This, this might blow your mind. Did you know that when you became a Christian, that you received all the spiritual genes that you need to be just like Jesus? Now, that's potential. Any pastor will tell you that, that if they've been in a congregation long enough and they've pastored long enough, they've seen people come in. They've seen God change people. They've seen people that seemingly had no ability or talents. All of a sudden, they, they have so much potential and talent. That's why when you have a congregation this size, you have, you have talents galore. And when everybody finds their particular place, I mean, you've got a you know, well-oiled machine because every one of us has abilities and talents that when God gets a hold of them, he just multiplies it. He changes lives. He changes people. He changes marriages. And so your soul has a potential, that capacity to be in the image of God. That ought to blow your mind. Not only are you an original, one of a kind, but you have the genes when you're born again to be like him. Now that ought to humble everybody. That God, the creator, is in you working overtime, perfecting things in your life coaching you, loving you, encouraging you, directing you. That's a marvelous thing. And I'd like to have that for every family member that I have that's not serving God. They don't know what they're missing. Running from God, fighting, you know, trying to do everything they can to escape. But if we could just get them into the presence of God, if we could just expose them to God's love, God can melt hearts. God can expose them to things that they never knew that they could have. We're limited. We're just a human being. We can say words. But God has a way to transform lives. There's a miracle power of God in this house. And if we would bring people into the presence of God, anything can happen. Anything can happen. But they got to get here. Let's talk about the price tag. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go shopping, the first thing I look at is the price tag. Why? Because I want to make sure I'm getting value for my dollar. My wife and I used to make a few trips over to Alexandria to spend Thanksgiving with some friends. And that was always fun, you know, but the day after Thanksgiving for me was more fun. Because I would take a drive down to Baton Rouge and they had this particular Dillard's down there. And it was a huge Dillard's in a big mall. But everything in there was up to 70% off. But the day after Thanksgiving, they added a, an additional 50% on top of the 70%. And that's when I went shopping. 
And it blows my mind when you look at the price tags. One shirt, $148. I never paid for a shirt with that price on it in my life. Never will. It's just a shirt. But when it's $7.89, I'll buy a dozen of them. But what really blows my mind is they're still making money. They're not going to give that stuff away. What a markup. $1,200 suits for under $200. I feel like going right now. I feel like making a trip right now. Would you look at your neighbor again? Would you look at your other neighbor right now? All right. Would you tell your neighbor, one of them at least, that you were not a bargain? Uh Uh-uh. When the Lord went to Calvary, he paid full price for every one of you. You were not on sale, folks. If you would have been the only one on this earth, he still would have paid full price for you. You're no piece of junk. You're unique. You're an original. You're one of a kind. And God chose you. And he paid the full price. The Bible said greater Love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world. Okay, now get your your mind off yourself. Think about your neighbor. Think about your unsaved loved ones. Think about the people you work with. They're unique. They're one of a kind. They're a soul. They need redemption. And perhaps you're the only one that can be the key to bring them out to the house of God. I don't know them. You know, if we left everything up to the internet and, you know, our advertisements and all of that, you might, you might grab one or two. But if everyone that's here tonight would bring out one person who needs to be redeemed, think what God could do. Think what God could do. 
Now that's the sure way. The Lord gives you and I life. That's his gift to us. But our gift back to God is what we do with our life. Praise God. That's our gift back to God. And when you give a gift to someone you love, you normally think about what you want to give them. You don't just, you know, pass off a piece of junk, do you? You try to find something special. You want to make God happy? Bring one of his unregenerated children into the house of God Sunday morning. You want to make God smile? Expose somebody that does not yet have what you have to his presence, to the beauty of his holiness, to the power of this praise and worship that we have right here. And that's why I would say that uh, this text has the six saddest words in the Bible because it says, no man cared for my soul. Now, we know that's not true. But we need to do something about it if we're actually going to see it happen. And the best way to get somebody out to the house of God is to go get them. Drive up to their house. Take a rope. Some handcuffs. No, I'm teasing, but, you know, maybe a dinner. But, you know, a home-cooked meal. You know, what is it worth to bring out a loved one where they can experience what you have every single Sunday? Praise God. Why don't we stand? We'll come and stand in the front. We still have a few minutes here. You know, there's a lot of Christians. I've talked to one today. There's a lot of people that have uh, Christian experiences. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter what kind of oil you put in your car? Does it matter what size shoe you buy? Does it matter what size suit or dress you buy? Well, then does it matter how you're born again? Well, if it matters how you're born again, then if someone that you know doesn't have that born again experience, then they need to somehow be exposed to more. Does it matter how you baptize people? Well, there's a lot of your friends then that need more revelation. Amen. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to 
walk down here among you. I don't want you to faint. I'm going to put the microphone right up by your mouth. And I want you to think of one person. And I know there's many, but just say one name. Of one person who's been an influence in your life that's brought you closer to God. And I know some of you have dozens of people in your life that have made contributions. But I just want one name of one person. It could be a parent. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be your best buddy. You think you can do that? Here I come. Amen. Brad. Jim Turner. Terry. Sister Neil. Pastor Johns. My mother, Pam. Amelia. Brother Burchard Lily. Sister Helen Stein. My mother, Barbara. Jacqueline. Brother Jonathan. And there's a lot of folks that helped you folks, isn't there? Rita Rios. Joe Rios. Estela. Ella Wheeler. James Newborn. Mike Palmley. Crystal Jones. David Overstreet. Kent Bargwood. Sarah Reed. Roger Primington. Charlotte Cottrell. I could just keep going here. But let's move, let's get in this little time machine. Let's go ahead about two or three years and let's do this again. Would there be somebody that would say your name? Would there be somebody that would say your name? Wouldn't it be wonderful when you get to heaven? You have a few folks around you say, thank you. Thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for bringing me out to the house of God. Thank you. Thank you. And this, we have this wonderful opportunity this weekend. And there's one thing about sharing a testimony. Nobody can refute what God has done for that person's sharing. And they'll, they'll hear a story of redemption. And when you share a story of redemption, everybody gets touched in a unique way. It'll touch you. It'll touch your friends. Everyone in a different way. Just close your eyes for a second. Perhaps God will show you a face of somebody right now that you feel you could bring out to the house of God. Just take that moment. Take that moment. Jesus. 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 Can I share a little secret with you? I've been involved uh, in ministry since 1971, and I'm saying right after I got the Holy Ghost. And the successes in my life 
have come this way, and this is the key. I've learned to be sensitive to the Lord because God is always working somewhere, nonstop. So if I'm in a grocery store and I'm just buying groceries and the Spirit of the Lord will come on me, that's not just for me to shout or to run the aisles of the grocery store. No, that's a signal to me. I don't know how it works with you, but it's a signal to me that God's at work in that place. Now, I don't know where, but I'll just take my time. I'll walk up and down a few aisles. Maybe I'll bump into the person that God's working on. And if I connect, that's a gold mine. Because I'm just joining God where he's already at work. And now that's so easy. All the successes of my ministry have been where God was already working and he just invited me to join him. So who in your neighborhood is God working on right now? Who in your family is God working on right now? How about where you work? I guarantee you, if there's more than three people, God's working on one of them. Because that's who God is and that's what he does. Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank him for what he's going to do Sunday. Ask God right now, Lord, lead me to that person. Help me, God, bring somebody out to the presence of God so that we can expose them to your presence and your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Grab a hold of it. Just grab a hold of it. Somebody's going to find Jesus. Somebody is going to feel Jesus.